Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. So we are now at the end of our mission series, though. Two weeks ago, Gary Rohrmeyer spoke about the importance of declaring the kingdom. And last week, Pastor Rob was here, and he shared with us about defining the kingdom and defining the kingdom and what it means to advance the kingdom. And there's an aspect where the kingdom is now, where where we as the church are to go out and to spread the gospel and make disciples and advance his kingdom in that way. And we know that that will someday be fulfilled when Jesus comes back as king and to reign. But the work is now. And so this morning, though, we are going to talk about then preparing for the kingdom preparing for the kingdom. And, and I slightly modified the title because I, w- I wanted us to hopefully um, understand what I mean by that a little better or to clarify what we are talking about. And so it's preparing for the kingdom mission. So what do I mean by the kingdom mission? It's the call for the church to go out to all nations and make disciples of Jesus. And in in this way, the church advances the kingdom of heaven on earth. Today, we send out Christians and we call them missionaries. They, They go out throughout the whole world and do this work. And we, as a local church body, we, we greatly value this work that they do. We want to support the kingdom mission. We want to do that financially and by sending out our own, but also probably most importantly is to be praying for praying for God's work to advance, to move throughout this world. So here's the question though. How do we prepare for this mission as a local church, as a a believer, a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. How do you prepare for this mission? Because it's not only missionaries who go out to other countries or other cultures who are called to this mission, but all of us as disciples of Jesus are called to this mission in some fashion. So we have seminaries, we have mission agencies that train Christians for mission work. We, we train people how to preach and teach the Bible and how to communicate the gospel of Jesus. We sometimes learn other languages and teach a trade and learn a trade in order to integrate into another culture. However, there's one important quality needed for anyone on this kingdom mission, whether it's here locally or overseas, and that quality is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. Often one might think that spiritual maturity will eventually come once one is out 
on the mission field, doing the mission. Might be in your mind, might be thinking, once I go to the mission field, then my walk with God will be better. Or once I do the Lord's work, then I won't struggle so much with sin. One might think struggles get left behind while doing the Lord's work on foreign soil, but often the struggles seem to not only follow, but to intensify. And so preparing for the kingdom mission, what does that mean? It is to pursue a mature walk with the Lord as you grow in godly character. I, I do see some people writing that down. If you do want to write some notes, you can use the back of your worship guide, grab a pen, jot these down. But this is, this is an important point. Preparing for the kingdom mission is to pursue a mature walk with the Lord as you grow in godly character. Now, you might think that I might merely be talking about missionaries as if it's this calling to those who are only to go overseas. But again, the kingdom mission is something we are all called to, and therefore we all must be preparing for this holy work. And so how do we prepare for it? Well, I think the answer can be found in Romans chapter 12. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'd like to give you a little bit of context that I think will help us understand these couple of verses. So the book of Romans, which was written by Paul, it was written to explain the intricacies of salvation specifically how it's accomplished for both Jew and Gentile. So when I mean Jew and Gentile, basically what I'm meaning there is everyone. Paul lays it out clearly. When it comes to salvation from sin, there is no distinction between these two groups, Jew and Gentile. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. If you are a human being... You are under sin. Scriptures say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we are all in the same boat. My friends, the boat is sinking. But here's the wonderful news. Here's the gospel. It is by grace through faith that we all have been saved. Faith in Jesus and his atoning sacrifice on the cross, we all have sinned. We all deserve the wrath of God and we all can be saved by faith in Jesus. And this is the context of the book of Romans, specifically through chapters one through 11. Paul is unpacking this and all the different intricacies and doctrines that are involved in salvation, righteousness by faith in Christ and since we have been saved by grace, Paul makes an appeal in chapter 12. Since this has been given to us, since this has been the gift of God given to us, Paul makes an appeal. He is urging his audience. And it is this, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice because of what Christ has done for us and sacrificed his life on the cross. We are then called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this is the call to everyone who has put their faith in Christ. It makes no difference if you are clergy, if you're a pastor or minister or a missionary, an employee, an employer, a business owner, a homemaker, a student. We who are in Christ are all to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And by doing so, this is how we prepare for God's mission, the advancement of the kingdom. So we're going to unpack what this looks like to be, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So let's do this. Let's stand together just in honor of reading the word. We do this together. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along. But let me read Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Father, with, with this word before us, I pray that you would, you would reveal it both in our hearts and our minds through the Spirit that we may be transformed into a greater likeness of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so Paul begins this chapter with an appeal. He just shared in the last 11 chapters the beauty and wonder of salvation through faith in Jesus. And now he is calling his audience to respond, to respond by presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice. So here is the first point to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul is using a word picture that all his audience could understand, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, both. Jews and Gentiles practiced animal sacrifice in some manner. There were sacrifices made to atone for sin. There were other sacrifices made that symbolized a complete surrender to God. And here Paul is not talking about a literal sacrifice like the Old Testament animal sacrifices where the smell of blood and decay filled the air and the sounds of death rang through the streets. It would get a little messy, a little smelly if what Paul meant was not a living sacrifice, but just a sacrifice to present your bodies as a sacrifice. No, we should be thankful that Paul put that word in there, a living sacrifice. And this is what he means by that. So instead of 
slaying a goat or ram or burning it on the altar, we are called to live a life dedicated to God. That's what he means by a living sacrifice. It is a life lived for him. An old theologian back in the day, his name is John Calvin, said it this way. He says, by bodies, he means not only our skin and our bones, but the totality of which we are composed. He adopted this word that he might more fully designate all that we are. Think about it. All that we are. For the members of the body are the instruments by which we carry out our purposes. And Paul declares that this is our act of worship. So we often think of worship as our time together as we, as we gather on a Sunday morning and, and we sing songs and we sing truths about who God is and what he has done for us. It's this, this sacred time of worship because, because we're doing it as a body of believers with one voice proclaiming these truths. So when I'm standing beside a brother or a sister, it's not just my voice, but I hear their voices affirming the same thing that I am. There's something beautiful and wonderful about that, and we call that worship. But Paul is, is telling us, however, in verse one, that all that we are and all that we do can be a spiritual act of worship. Another commentator, Hendrickson, says it this way. He says, Paul is thinking about the action of worshiping, the wholehearted consecration of heart mind, will, words, deeds, in fact, of all one is, has, and does to God, and nothing less. So it's all that we are. That's this picture of a living sacrifice. It's, it's this aspect of worshiping in all that we are, all that we do. So Paul is urging us to make our lives a response of worship. And it's expressed as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So not only is this an act of worship, but it's also the process of transformation. Verse two says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind. So I kind of think of it like this. How are we to be present our bodies as a spiritual sacrifice? How, how are we to move in that direction? And I think this is the process. Being conformed to this world means that our minds can be shaped or molded into thinking in the same way as the world thinks and therefore bear the same kind of sinful fruit. So our world spouts messages and ideologies and sets of values and ways of living and this, these messages, they can be taught in the education system. They can be packaged in songs and in movies and videos and online and 
also enacted through policies and laws. We must be able to discern or divide between the falsehoods ingrained into the world's messages and the truth given from the word of God. I think this is what Paul is trying to explain to us. And this is what he means when he says to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. So this word transformed in the Greek in the original language is the word metamorphosis. It's, it shapes us, it molds us. And so what we listen to, here's, here's a great metaphor of that. It's, it's kind of that concept of you are what you eat, right? Have you ever heard of that? You know, what you eat and, and it can affect you health-wise. Can it even affect how you think? So for example, if I gave my youngest child sugar, he will not only think differently, he will think differently a little faster, but also his, his body moves faster. And so what you, you are what you eat. Well, when we listen to what media we consume will shape us and mold us. So what, are we, what we are consuming will fashion us, will shape us, will mold us, and can potentially conform us to the image of the world. And so the question is, is what are you consuming? What are you consuming? And this is why Paul tells us in Philippians, verse four, or chapter four, verse eight, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Catch that last phrase. You are to think about these things. What is your mind consuming? This is why King David says this in the Psalms. This is Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation. It's what he's chewing on and reflecting on all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding, discernment, a renewal of the mind. I get understanding and therefore I hate every false way. And so in this way, Paul tells us to be transformed, to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We are to be transformed and like I said, that Greek word is metamorphosis, this idea of changing, whether it's in appearance or character, 
our condition or our function in, in all these different ways, we are to be transformed. In a sense, we are to become new creations. We are to think correctly by thinking about what is good, honorable, and true and meditating on the word of God. And as we think correctly, we will act accordingly. And so it's this idea of a change in perspective, a change in perspective. Another commentator, Douglas Moo, said it like this, Christians are to adjust their way of thinking about everything in accordance with the newness of their life in the spirit. This reprogramming of the mind does not take place overnight, but is a lifelong process by which our way of thinking is to resemble more and more the way God wants us to think. So how do we prepare for the kingdom mission of God? It's by continually presenting ourselves in heart and mind and in action as a living sacrifice. And this doesn't begin when you enter the mission field. It doesn't come by attending, necessarily attending like a Bible college or learning the original languages of the scriptures. This requires a transformation by the renewal of our minds. So how does this apply to missions, whether it's the mission overseas or whether it's the mission here in our own culture? Well, it's a practicing discernment in how to think and conduct oneself in a culture that is against God's ways. So let me give you an example of this from the Old Testament. So, and we did a series, a series on this uh, a while back, but in the book of Daniel, Daniel being this young man who was taken, captured, taken to Babylon, which was this pagan culture. He was given a different name, a pagan name. He was, he was, um, he was supposed to learn a different language, a new language. He was learning the culture, the, how to live in that culture, but yet he wanted to remain faithful to God and his ways. How in the world do you do that? So there's this example of Daniel and he's, I think they're in jail at the time and the jailer is feeding them and there's food that is unclean that will make him unclean before God and he wants to honor the Lord but he's like, if I don't eat this food, I'm going to be in trouble. He doesn't want to starve. So he has this dilemma and it's going to require discernment, how to wisely navigate between understanding what is good, right, and true and what is evil, what is wrong. So how do you do that? Well, Daniel, he doesn't make a, a sign and start trouncing around his cell waving a sign and protesting. He doesn't shake his fist at the powers at B. But what he does is he goes to the jailer and he says, hey, listen, um, how about you feed us just vegetables and fruit? And the jailer's like, uh, if I do that and you don't look healthy, I'm in trouble. That is on me. It could be in my head. 
life or death. And so Paul, or, uh, Daniel goes, well, let's, let's do a test then. Let's feed us food, uh, vegetables and fruit for a certain amount of time and then, and then uh, compare us with what you're feeding the other prisoners. And so this is amazing because what, Paul, what Daniel is doing there is his, he is relying on the Lord. He's, he's offering this solution to where now he has to put his faith and trust in God. Hey, God, if you want me to follow your ways, and if, please, what you need to do is allow for us to look healthier, right? And, and, and after several days of this, they did. God was faithful to him. And so the jailer saw, he's like, wow, you guys look a lot better than those, uh, we, the, the food that we were feeding the king, you know, the, the king, his table scraps, what we were feeding the prisoners. You guys look a lot better. And so, and so God was faithful in that. So whatever, wherever we go, whether it's overseas or if we're home, we must be able to dif- differentiate between what is of the world and what is of God to discern what would be conforming to the world and avoid those ways and instead be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And this can be challenging. This takes time. And in many ways, it takes trusting in the Lord. This means we must be students of the word of God. We need to be students of our culture as well. It also means we must be students of ourselves because we have been shaped by our culture without us even realizing it. We've been born into this fishbowl. We breathe the water. That's all we know. And so how do we do that well? Well, it's the call to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we just covered two verses. And remember, the main idea here is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is, this is how the kingdom of God advances. This is the mission. So we just covered two verses but let's get into a little bit more detail of what this actually looks like, like played out in real life. What does it look like to be a living sacrifice? And I think the rest of chapter 12 explains this to us. And um, so I would encourage you, if you do have your pens and pencils, you can jot these verses down and look at them later. They probably won't come up on the screens, but we're going to look through first verses through, three through eight. So the rest of the chapter verses three through eight. But this is one way what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And that is by using our gifts as a living sacrifice. And so these verses that continue on, uh, Paul is using some imagery here. Um, It's an imagery like a body that has many different parts with many different functions. Paul states in verse five, that we are one body in Christ. It's Christ that unifies us. And it's Christ who gives us the mission that we are called to. And the beautiful part of this image as a body is 
We too have various parts or roles to play in God's kingdom. We are one in Christ, yet distinct in our gifts and our skills. And all the gifts and skills God has imparted can be used to bring about the spreading of God's kingdom. So if you, an illustration of this would be like a football team who, a football team has different parts. I think for like the NFL, I think it's like, you can have 54 players on a team. And then those can be divided up into parts like the offense and the defense and the special teams. And there's different positions like the quarterback who has this specific role and an important role. But then you think of that compared to maybe like the kicker who has a very different role. One needs an arm, one needs an egg, and a leg, right? One needs to throw the ball, one needs to kick the ball accurately. And so there's different positions, there's different giftings, there's different skills, but they, they come together for one purpose. And the body of Christ, the church, functions the same way. So God has made you unique. He has fashioned you and has given you gifts. And verse six then tells us that these gifts differ according to the grace given, which means the gifts are not anything we can take pride in or glow over because they were graciously given to us by God. Nor should we become envious or resentful towards others who have different gifts or use them in a different fashion. And Paul kind of explains this in another letter to the Corinthians where he describes various gifts and he also uses the same imagery of a body. And he says, listen, you know, it's not like the foot should be looking at the hand and be like, I want to be the hand. Or why can't we all be hands? Well, because it doesn't make up a whole body. It would be very difficult to communicate I guess if you had one hand, you could probably communicate, but you wouldn't be able to smell or hear. It would be a little bit slower to move around if we were just all hands. And so we need the full body. And there's ways in which God has gifted us uniquely to be part of that body to advance his kingdom. And so in our passage, Paul gives us a list of these gifts, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I would like to share them with you. Some of them may sound spiritual, some of them don't, but they're all gifts given to us by God. So for example, there's prophecy, there's serving, there's teaching, exhorting, contributing, or, or generosity, there's leading, and there's acts of mercy. And so our gifts are different. But here's the beautiful thing. In using those gifts, we can fulfill God's mission. And, and a beautiful thing about it is it can be fulfilled differently. So it's not only that we have different gifts that advances the kingdom, but Maybe there's a few that have the same gifts, but they're using them in different ways to advance the kingdom as well. And so there's this beautiful concept of unity and diversity. 
that is portrayed through the body of Jesus as they advance God's mission. So how does this apply? So the church body is called to go out to all nations and make disciples. And we all have various gifts in order to pursue that mission. So in your specific gifting, whether it's engaging it in this culture or cross-culturally, the question is this, how can you use your gifts to further God's kingdom? When you think of how you've been created, you're, how you are unique, how God has fashioned you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to this mission. So how can God use your skills, your gifts, in advancing his kingdom? There's a, uh, a great example of this um, I think Mitchell Winbush, um, who's part of our church body, came a couple of weeks ago and shared in our Sunday school class. He's part of an organization, a mission organization called Wycliffe. And Wycliffe is, uh, they go around the world translating the Bible into uh, a common language, into a local language. And, uh, but here's the thing, Mitchell's not a translator, He's more of an IT guy. He's more behind the scenes. And it was funny how he described it uh, this morning. He was at the Sunday school class up at Sawyer. He described it. He's like, hey, I work on things that get plugged in. Whatever gets plugged in, that's what I'm working on. And so he considers himself a support for the translators in some way. They're, they're in front doing that that front work, the, the field work in some ways, but he was on the field as well in support of that. And so using his gifts and his talents and his skills, he was helping advance the kingdom of God. And so this is just a, a wonderful picture. So whether it's overseas or whether it's here, we are called to do the same with our gifts. But here's the thing, it's not just about the gifts of a living sacrifice, but it's also the heart of a living sacrifice. Or in other words, what are the qualities or fruit that is produced as you present yourself as a living sacrifice? And so this is point number three, a heart of a living sacrifice. This is pretty wild how Paul unpacks this for us. So, you know, he, he urges us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. He kind of describes what, how to do that through the word of God and the renewal of our mind. But then he starts to get into some specifics here. He's talking about our giftings and how that can be presented as a living sacrifice and how we act and what we do. But now he's going to kind of get into the heart and this is where it can, can get difficult and challenging. So let me read this to you. Um, I think it will be up on the screen. This is verses 9 uh, through 13. We're going to go through 21, but I'm going to unpack this for us. And also, this is kind of an example of what it means. Um, we're going to kind of go through this as a, as a uh, maybe like a, you can think of it as a workshop or as an example of what it means to think about and to meditate on the word of God and allowing it to, to reshape or reform or transform us. Okay, so this is kind of an example, but 
this is supposed to be helpful and apply to our message. So Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13, just look at verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Is that the right one? Nope, that's Matthew. Do you have uh, Romans 12, 9 through 13? If you don't, that's okay. Oh, there it is. You can just leave that one up there for a minute. But just look at that phrase, let love be genuine. What does he mean? I can have a love that's genuine, which means I can also have a love that isn't genuine. What does that look like? What does genuine love look like? And a couple of days ago, as I was thinking and trying to reflect upon this, genuine love, how would I be able to, to, to do genuine love, to love genuinely? And then I thought, oh, wait, isn't there other passages that Paul writes about this? So for example, in 1 Corinthians, where he describes what love is. So if what is genuine love? Well, Paul actually describes this for us. It's love is patient, love is kind. We know that verse, right? We say it all the time in weddings. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its ways. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love those. Uh, patience, ooh. Enduring. So uh, the example that I gave. So yesterday, I had, uh, uh, we celebrated two birthdays. We have two children uh, that have birthdays in May. We celebrated it yesterday. Um, and um, I, I, I blew it last uh, when I preached up at Sawyer um, because I was going to just describe it uh, vaguely so you didn't know what child uh, that I was describing, but I, I'm not even going to try to be vague here. So one of them was Miki, our seven-year-old. And with Miki, um, he's gifted and skilled in a sense that he, uh, as the day goes by, he doesn't get more tired or worn down. He actually speeds up. And the energy, you can almost see it coursing through his body, this energy, as the day goes on. And he moves faster and faster. And I described it up at Sora. I described it as, you know, the DC hero, The Flash, where it's just this flash moving around. That, that's, that's our child, and especially when all this uh, focus and attention is on him and there's so many people, it, it just is an extra boost. And so by the time 7 o'clock rolled around and 8 o'clock rolled down, me being a mere human started getting tired and wanting to sit down and rest and to, uh, to sleep and my child is going ever so faster and going crazy and talking faster. And so when it came to genuine love, for example, like patience or enduring, the question is, was I being a living sacrifice to my family? Was I being 
a living sacrifice to my son? These are some tough questions that I have to ask myself and different ways that I may have to repent because in some of those times, I don't think I was. But you can see this is an example of just taking a phrase from scripture of what it means to be a living sacrifice and asking the question, okay, if an aspect of being a living sacrifice is to have genuine love, what does that look like for me? And, and we can get into these specifics, but let me continue on in this. So we just looked at one phrase, verse nine, let, let love be genuine. But Paul continues on. He says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. And I like this one, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another like a competition? So those who are skilled and gifted and competing, this is a way that you can compete to show honor to one another. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in, in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. I love that one. How in the world can we rejoice to celebrate hope? Well, it's because we know our hope is sure. Our hope is sure in Christ Jesus. The promises that God gives, he is faithful and he will complete them. And therefore our hope is sure. We can rejoice in it. It also says, be patient again, but this time in tribulation, be consistent or constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So here's the thing, when it, when it comes to just these verses, nine through 13, I wonder if we just did these verses, if we worked on them and pursued them, I wonder how the Lord would use it to advance his kingdom. Because God can work through this way of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, to love in this way, to endure in this way. As an act of worship to him, how could God use that? But here's the thing, uh, Paul continues on, and this is where we're gonna wrap up. Let me read this for you. Romans chapter 12, 19 through 21, and I might um, continue on into the, or it's uh, 14 through 18, but also I think we're just gonna continue on through 19 through 21. Let me read this for you. It says, bless those who persecute you, Okay, now we're getting into some difficulties because we're talking about, I don't know, family, children, fellow believers and how to love, but now we're talking about those who may be attacking. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, you are to live peaceably with all. Continuing on, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. 
for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So basically here it's saying, look for ways to supply the needs of your enemies. Now that's a sacrifice. I don't want to supply their needs. I want to tell them off. (laughs) When they're attacking me, I want to attack back. No, no, no. It's called to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And that is to look for ways to supply the needs of your enemies. So this is a picture of a living sacrifice. It is one who discerns what is good and right and true from what is perverse and evil. And also a living sacrifice uses their God-given gifts to serve others and to advance the kingdom of God, whether it's here locally or worldwide. They also love in a way that is sacrificial. It's a love that attempts to respond to evil with love. To respond to evil with love. This is a living sacrifice and it does not happen overnight. It's not something you can learn necessarily in a classroom or in a YouTube video. It's an ongoing continual formation that occurs over time as the Holy Spirit transforms you through the word of God. And so here's the question. Here's here's this call to response. Where you find yourself in your life right now, whatever role you have right now, if you're a mother or a father, if you are a employee or employer, if you're a student, if you're a grandchild or a child or a grandparent or a great-grandparent, where you find yourself in life right now, the question is, what would it look like to present your bodies as a living sacrifice? What would it look like to present your bodies as a living sacrifice? So you can start with that. That's a broad question, but here's some more detailed questions. What is it that you are consuming? How might you need to change the diet your mind consumes? What is it that you're consuming? And where do you need to change that diet? Number two, what are the gifts of God, the gifts of God that have been given to you and how can you use them to further the kingdom of heaven? And number three, where do you need to work on genuine love? Where do you need to overcome evil with good? Friends, these are just this is not an exhaustive set of questions that you can, uh, you can ask yourself from this passage. So I would encourage you even in this way to take some time throughout the week and challenge yourself and to ask the Lord about this. How might I present my body as a living sacrifice this day? And I would encourage you to read Romans 12. There may be a way that the Lord speaks So with that, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do 
reveal yourself. You speak through the word of God. The spirit moves through the word of God and can form our minds and hearts into the likeness of Christ that we might be living sacrifices for you, Lord. Father, this is what we want to do. It's not just because you call us to this, but it's because of what you have done for us on the cross. The grace of God through Jesus Christ, that we've been saved by grace through faith. Lord, this is a mercy. This is a grace. This is how you've displayed your great love for us. So may we too then therefore respond by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.